Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. I suppose turnabout is fair play. We uh, took some questions. I was in the hot seat on your show last week. It's only fair that you hop into the tepid chair here on on my show. Welcome back to the pod. The great Josh Lloyd. What's going on, my man? How you been? Daniel, how are you? <laughs> I really I like that one, actually. I wish that one would stick. I don't know what we're going to yeah. have to do. So you, you prefer that one to Danny? I think I do. There's just something uh, unique about it, you know? And I, and I think I mentioned this one other time. My uh, late grandmother used to call me that just sort of in a funny way. She was from Brooklyn. She'd mess with words. Um, I know that it's a play on Daniel House, but it makes me think of my grandma, so there's something fun about it. So Daniel away, everyone. I give everybody full permission to just lay into me. How's, uh, how's, how's life, man? How's fantasy? How's everything going on? Yeah, everything's going pretty well, mate. Um, obviously, lots happening in the NBA world. We've got to be nimbly on our feet and ready to adjust and yeah, change whatever's going on with projections and thoughts and all that sort of stuff. It's a busy time of year and it's not being helped by uh, multiple absences of players. Yeah, I was going to say, is there anything you're doing differently right now with the the COVID mayhem taking place or just kind of like crossing your fingers, gritting your teeth and hoping you don't see any news about one of a you know one of your key guys on any given day i i don't know what we can do really besides hope for the best cuz we're not in control of what the nba is doing but do you prepare in any way or or status quo really yeah i don't think you can do anything really look you just got to yeah. be you're ready to see the news and, and make yeah, adjustments. I'm not going out there and you know stashing Kessler Edwards or you know someone of his ilk in case something happens to another team. Like I'm not out there grabbing, trying to think of the most random player that I can. Like I'm not going to go and grab Terry Taylor in Indiana in case seven of their guys go out just so I can have two games worth of big production from it. Like it's just, <laughs> not, it's just not. It's not worth it. Yeah, I uh, I think the only thing that maybe more of an overarching, like we rely a little bit more on knowing that there are going to be a lot of guys moving into fantasy value for two or three game stretches, does that change where you set the bottom of your team? Like, I feel like maybe you can, I feel like maybe you can put the bottom of your team a little bit uh, higher. Does that make sense? I, I don't, maybe yeah. I'm not, I don't know if that question that, is making that depends sense. Then, it depends on how many like weekly moves you get. Cause if you, you've got like an array of them, if you can do seven moves, then you're know, having maybe two streaming spots. Or two spots where you go, well, these bottom two guys, they are completely expendable. So then I can add in Kessler Edwards or I can add David Duke or I can add whoever, whichever random player is going to step up into that spot. But if you've only got four ads a week, then having two spots for that doesn't actually do that much because you're not going to have enough ads to make full to take full advantage of that position anyway. Right. So I think that really does depend. Um on how your league is set up and and the rules associated with acquisitions. Yeah, it does come down to to league weekly moves, and then for Roto Games Cap, you can probably set that that table just a little bit higher as well, because you just sort of you don't need to necessarily uh, play a guy who's like a top one ten the way you might in a, in a different year, or you can just rotate in some weirdo who's rolling top eighty for four games at a time, and I don't know, have a little fun with it. But look, we took questions on Twitter, by the way. And I don't know why I skipped this part. You guys all know Josh, but he is at RedRock underscore B-Ball on Twitter. He's the lead fantasy basketball analyst over at Basketball Monster and the host of the Locked On Fantasy podcast. I was trying to decide 
where I wanted to begin with some of these submissions. And I, I feel like I got to go to the guy that's getting a lot of buzz right now. And for good reason. He's finally starting to look like the game is slowing down a little bit. And that's Alperin Shengun. But rather than ask the simple question of, like, should this guy be on rosters? Because obviously now that he's playing better, he should. My question for you is something I've actually struggled with a little bit myself, which is how early is too early? to squat on a guy where you know there's a positive arrow, but you also know you're going to have to really wade through the muck to get there. What's your general thought on, and, and I guess maybe focus this on head-to-head daily leagues where you can't just put a guy off to the side and forget about him because that's an easy decision, but to just take a guy who's top 200, top 220 or whatever and sit on him for two months, three months, could be four months, I don't actually know where I stand on this. I tend to be probably one of the shorter stash guys, but where are you on a guy like Shengun? maybe looking back at, like, October? Um, I, I think the reason why you know, this question is asked so much, Dan, and why you're asking it now is that there isn't an answer, is because it changes so much, right? Like, And it also depends on the player. And it, that's why everything in every situation needs to be examined. So I can look at Shengun and you can look at Shengun and I can tell you, like, in the you do my actual draft, mock draft stuff, not fantasy draft. Like, I had him at number four. Like, oh, I know this guy's good. Like, I want him to be good. That's how high I had him. Would I change some of that? Probably a little bit, but not far off, right? I knew he was good. And it's like, where, where are the minutes coming from? You know, how is he going to get those minutes? Let's add him at the start take him with your last pick and see, and then watch what the pattern is like with the rotations. Cause I know that if he plays 30, 31 minutes, like the top 40 is there. Like it's going to happen. I've got no doubt about that, but how does he get to those minutes? Um, and then you see patterns arise and normally with rookies, especially I'll, I'll give him like a six week period to begin the year. Like roughly let's go to Thanksgiving. So I did it with Jalen green, Jalen Suggs, like figure this shit out and let's see what happens. And if you haven't done anything that's even trending positively, then you can go and then we'll maybe we'll deal with you later. But like a different case with Shangun, if we look at it and go, okay, he's getting minutes, but then his minutes started to drop. And then they went with one big and he was playing strictly as a backup to Christian Wood. And we go, well, the only way this is going to happen is if Wood gets hurt or if Wood gets traded. And what are the chances of that? Like they seem pretty low. So what are we what are we holding for in case there's a two-minute crossover between these guys and he plays 20 minutes? That's probably not worth it. Now, of course, Wood goes down, Shengun goes off, even though Ty starts. And they have been crossing over in minutes a, a little bit. Um, but yeah, we could say the same with these other per-minute guys. Use Chris Boucher, for example. Yeah. Yeah. Who we know that if he played 30 minutes tonight, he'd be a top 40 player. But what's the, what's the likelihood of that happening? Like it's it's... Zero percent, probably. Like they've had like four centers out of three centers, and he's getting twenty-seven minutes and on an overtime game. Like it's just not going to happen. So while we can look at permanent stats, we can go, "This will happen if this happens." It's the likelihood of that happening, which which changes all the time. So I guess in a long way to answer your question is there is no answer. Like there is no set number of when do you do this, and it all depends. Like if you're sitting at the top of the standings and you're holding on to Shengun and keep holding him, like it's obviously not hurting you. Right. If you're languishing in tenth and you've lost every matchup because you've got two blokes stashed there who are outside the top 200, then you got to move on because otherwise it's not going to mean jack shit if they're good in March because you're not going to be playing for anything that's meaningful. Yeah, how good do you well, think? Good, I, I mean, this really is a question that I fight myself on. I think you and I both, it sounds like, lean in the same direction, which is I try not to squat on a guy unless I, I know that the destination is going to be worth it and I have an idea of when that's going to be. And it can't be too far out. So where... You think like if a team is in the playoffs in a head-to-head 
that's good enough to squat on a guy with that kind of upside? Is that maybe the low threshold for it? I think you're looking at it more like top three versus top six. Mm. Oh, because that top six can swing in a week. Like you can be fifth, lose two seven, and then you're ninth. All right, that can happen real quick. If you're sitting at second, then if you drop, maybe you drop to third. Maybe you don't drop anywhere because often there is a big delineation between those group of teams, the four to nines that are battling for those player spots versus the two that are at the top that are killing everybody. So I think if you're sitting comfortably, and, and again, not every second place team is built the same. A second place team might be one category win ahead of ninth. Like it might be that tight, or you might be 20 games ahead. Like who knows? And and it's all about that's why, like when you know, I, I talk and I, and I tweet and I write and, and I do my show, is that like I try and provide blanket information but i, I can't touch it's on impossible. anything it's impossible you, you i've got to try and provide information that you then and and the tools for how do you turn that into um actionable information for your league because i can't tell you if you are sitting third you must do this because it's not the same in every league if you're third out of eight teams that means nothing compared to third out of 14 teams it's a very different situation it's really funny that you brought that up. I was just having a, a similar conversation with Brew on uh, Slack a couple days ago where he was like, we need to figure out how we're presenting certain types of players. And DeAnthony Melton was the guy that came up as like, okay, well, when someone's out on this team, this dude's rolling. And you and I actually talked about him on your show last week as like, we all want this to be a thing and everyone can see it, but they're just not giving him the minutes but different leagues have very different ways of dealing with a guy like that. If you're in a Roto Games Cap League, you can just sit on Melton and hope that one guy is out, Bain or Brooks or whatever. Whereas, again, and I guess it applies to Shangun as well, it, can you sit on these guys? Now, with Shangun, you know, the arrow up is probably a, more of a, like a shallow slope upward, where with Melton, it's bouncing all over the place. But I do think the thought is the same. I tend to be someone who ends up with very few of the guys like Shengun on my head-to-head teams. I really value getting off to a quick start. It sounds like, and maybe I'm misinterpreting it, so feel free to tell me I'm way off base here, but it sounds like you're kind of in a similar spot as well, where, look, I'm going to give a guy, you said six weeks, but I can't just take crappy numbers forever at, like, February. That's a really long time from October, isn't it? Yeah, and I'll tell you, I know we're just going on about this one point for a while, but this is the thing that I agree. I, I do do what you do there, um, and I'm more quick to cut bait. Like I, I would have, I've told people, you know, I, I, week, I do, I do, I'm more aggressive than you, Dan, because like week two, I was like, get rid of Chris Boucher. Like, see you later. Like, I don't care. Like, get rid of him. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I gave him like one more week after that with a headache. <laughs> like, it's not worth it. Like, I was like, you know, this is not happening for TJ McConnell. It's going to require injuries. Get rid of him. Like, he's not going to play the same role under Rick Carlisle. Get rid of him. In a daily change, you can't deal with this stuff. Um, and sometimes it bites me on the ass. But I, I'm also well aware that, you know, people... I love Shangu, right? So we just focus on him here. I, I love him. But there's no one player. People love throwing the term around. Oh, he's a league winner. That's a, that's a bullshit term, right? It's not. You've got 13 players on your team. You'll play 17 players during a week a lot of the time. You're streaming guys in and out. And while it's great to stash on that guy and hold, and then you can come out and beat your chest in, in February and go, well, I held this guy all the way through, through everything, and now I look at him. But I could have almost gotten that value by hitting on another waiver wire guy or another guy this week or another guy this week or another guy this week. It's, there's not one player who's there that does everything. Like, it's not he's the only answer, and whoever gets him wins. There are plenty of other guys around who will come out of nowhere, and they might do it for a week or two weeks versus three months or whatever. But you can find other ways 
to make up that value, but just because we like that one player and we love what he does and it looks great and wow, how smart am I that I, that I grabbed this guy? It, it's not always the optimal situation and it's not the only way to end up winning a league. I could not agree more. I don't want to spend our whole time as like this weird, vague... People are going to listen to this and they're be like, oh, they're picking on certain analysts. We're not. It's just a way of uh-uh. thinking where... Uh-huh. Sometimes there are folks out there that really do want to be kind of the smartest person in the room, and that doesn't always work as well as just like grinding it out with some other guys. You might be nine, eight, whatever it is, five to ten games better in your head-to-head league by not having this guy you stashed the for the entire year. And yes, from a marketing standpoint, I've talked about this on this show before, like it's great to be the one who says I had this guy the whole way through. Like you were just talking about, you know, I was the first one to do whatever. That's fantastic for marketing. There's very little downside in the analyst industry with that, but you don't win as often when you squat on a guy for four months when maybe you only needed to for five weeks or something to that effect. But anyway, that was fun. I actually like those. I love those deep dive things. So apologies for going so far. I'll on that. One more thing. <laughs> please, one more, one, please. One more thing on that because it, it does. Yeah, you can say that it's great for market. I, I never think about anything like that because then I always tell people this all the time is that, I'll get plenty of shit wrong, like all the time. And it's it's very, yeah, you, you can come out and say, well, I got this right, that blah, 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 right? But yeah, you, I'm not highlighting the stuff that I got wrong. And I might've had 20 cracks at holding onto a guy and one of them came true. And, and it, it, I highlight that, but very easily people can see through the ones that you got wrong. And it's like, you know, people touting, well, here's a, a, a great player who had a, a fantastic contract here. So therefore, everyone who's a free agent is going to do better. Or this is a revenge game and he's going to put up these numbers. Whereas the 20 other ones that don't work, you don't mention it. So it's this prophecy or self-fulfilling prophecy of, well, I said that this is going to work and it worked, but I'll just ignore the 80% that didn't. Yep. And uh, so that's why I don't I don't use any of this shit as like um, marketing or I'm look at me, I got this one right because it's just, it's ridiculous. I think to, to, to have that mindset, if anyone has that mindset, apologies to you, but I, I don't go about <laughs> it that way. I don't go about it that way thinking, well, I'm going to do this just so I can tell you that I held it. Cause it's just, I know in my head, all the things I got wrong and I'm not going to just yeah bark on one thing that, that, uh, that worked out. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I, and again, we're not, I hope people don't think we're like going after anyone. I feel like you and I are in the same boat where we don't really have enough time to listen to what everybody else says. So if we were, we wouldn't know it anyway. Um, But yeah, like when I say it's good for marketing, I do think that's probably the easy path. It's the easy path to like take a ton of chances and hope that one of them pans out. It's harder to, to do the, the day to day, the do to make the hard calls like that, which I think is what we're trying to help people figure out on the on all of our shows so let's um let's dive into a couple of other players i actually everybody knows that i'm the the guy who talks too much and now i got you doing it too here um so shangun's good uh we had a question about luca actually and more about just sort of how he looks and i was thinking about this too and i i don't know where your stance is on this i've been kind of down on luca fantasy wise because you know i'm more in nine cat i know you hate that um but he does could look a little bit I don't know, girthy? Does he seem out of shape? Is that something you're worried about long term? Hey, he looks fat. Like he does. <laughs> like, he's always looked a little um chunky, but he looks fatter this year for sure. Like, there's no doubt about that. And he's not he's great. He's awesome. He's fantastic. But he's not taking steps forward, I think is is where we, we sit with him. And people will often and and sites will pre rank him, oh, he's second, he's third. And they go, Oh, well, he'll take the step forward, but he just hasn't. 
right? So, yeah, I'm with you on that. Like, I, I he was not a guy that I was drafting anywhere. I don't think, I don't think we've got him in any league, of course, because he was going in the top three, which, you know, we were at pains to say, I think was a, yeah, from a fantasy value perspective, didn't make any sense. Um, and he's probably been worse than that. This, the worse than our expectations from him. He just hasn't taken the steps forward and he doesn't, he doesn't look, doesn't look in great condition. Now, I don't put huge stock into that sort of stuff where people are like, you know, minutely analyzing, look at this photo, and then now he's carrying this extra weight. And now that means he's going to play two less minutes and he won't get as many shots and he's going to be more injury prone. And blah. Like, I think getting into those weeds is actually the effort that you require to do it. The, the payoff is negligible or not enough to, to you know, really dive into that stuff as much as some people do and trying to find any sort of, sort of twist and edge. And it just, I don't think that works out. But yes, to answer your question succinctly, it looks fat. Is this something you'd be concerned about year over year, like say in a dynasty format, which I, I suck at? <laughs> uh, no, I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't impact my thoughts on him at all. My, my impact on him, I just look at go, well, can you actually improve the shooting at any point? And at this point, the answer is no. So that's what's giving me pause. I still, you still take him right at the top of a dynasty league because as I had a discussion with someone on one of my shows once, I don't remember who it was, apologies to them. We said, like, even if he never has a season where he's a top three player, if he can be a top 10 guy in a, your punt build or whatever you're doing and do that for 13 years, like that's still worth the number one or number two pick because you're doing that for that amount of time. Like having that level of production for 13 years is awesome, even if he never has an individual season as an overall top five player. All right, so that, that that's the difference in, in that sort of valuation of him. But I don't look at it and go, oh, that's going to end his career or he's never going to be good or anything like this. Uh, I, I don't look at it that um, aggressively, I guess. In the least subtle transition I've ever had on this show, what about Zion? Um, I mean, he's, he's taking a lot of flack right now. Uh, his foot isn't getting better. Is this someone you can even tell people to stash anymore no i said drop him like you can't once that other update came out last week where it's like oh he's being shut down again to you know, reevaluate i said this is like it's not happening this year like maybe he's back middle of january and then the team is going to say well you have to play 20 minutes a night for three four weeks he's going to complain about that he's going to sit back to backs it's just not going to happen um it's yeah, I no, you can't you can't start unless you're in a situation again. All these caveats always apply. Weekly league, sure. Multiple injury reserve slots that aren't being used, no worries. Roto games cap where you can sit him on the bench, right, cool. It costs you absolutely nothing. But if it's actually hurting you, then no, you, you can't deal with it because you might get full tilt Zion by after the All Star break. And can you really deal with that for that long? Probably not. Yeah, it's that same thing. That ends up being a four month stash. That's a crazy yeah. amount. You can't stash. I can't. I mean, you got to be top twenty-five, I think, to consider a a half-season stash on a guy, and even that's a stretch. Yeah, and look, it's all well and good to be like, oh, when the playoffs come, he'll be rolling. But got to get there. And how do you get in there with you? Because know, it's not. It's it's never just well. I can get by with one zero. Because you're not having one zero. You're going to have random players go out at all times. You might lose your first round pick for a week in here, and that's that's it's like the NBA, like. You can do, oh, we've got an injury and we've got a great backup that replaces it, but who replaces the backup? And that's when you get into trouble. And it's like that here. Well, okay, I can deal with Zion being up. What about when two other guys go out? Then I've got three players out and I can't deal with that. And then you get into a hole which you cannot dig yourself up out of. Last guy I want to talk to you about before we let you go. Devin Vassell. He's had a really interesting season so far. Looked quite good a few weeks in and then he's been dealing with 
various injuries, starting maybe to get his legs underneath him. Where do you see him going from here, rest of season? Frustrating, because um, he had that quad injury and it's limiting his minutes. I, I think he's really good, right? He is clearly better than Lonnie Walker. He is... <laughs> yes, I, I'd agree with that. <laughs> I, that's not controversial. It was when I said it at the start of last year. People love Lonnie Walker. They don't as much anymore. Um, he's clearly better than Lonnie Walker. I think he's better player than Colton Johnson, also pretty clearly. Um, I think that he is a guy that they should, honestly, I know Doug McDermott's shooting is is useful, but Devin Vassell can be as good of a shooter if he's not already within you know, a small percentage of where Doug is as a shooter already. He should just be starting. Calden at the four, Vassell at the three. And I do think at some point that is going to click, but what we're getting at the moment from Vassell is pretty frustrating. So I look at him, I think he's what, top 120 so far this season in 25 minutes, which is obviously really good in low minutes. So while that is a stash, he's still actually producing for you at a value where he'd be your you know, 11th best player or 12th best player, which is not too bad. Right. And, and I try and look at it and go, is there a clear, easy path for him to get more minutes? And the answer is yes. I don't need to see Bryn Forbes play. I don't need to see Kata Bates-Diop play. I don't even need to see Doug McDermott play 20 minutes a night. So all this stuff can easily change. And it's not like, well, one very specific thing has to happen in order for this to happen. There are a few different ways that Vassell can push to 30. And common sense would tell you that it will happen. But if it's not happening by, say, January 1st, then I'll just be like, okay, well, I'll, I'll go grab him later on. But because he's providing back-end value now, and I can see the path for more minutes, and he's currently just returning from an injury, I'll give him a little bit of leeway because I do believe that there is a clear sort of top 80 player in that. I love it. Come for the fantasy analysis. Stay for the clowning of Doug McDermott shooting. <laughs> it's the great, the great Josh Lloyd. Thank you so much, man, for carving out some time. Again, you can follow Josh on Twitter at RedRock underscore B-Ball. Check out the show. You guys all know Josh's show. I feel like I'm, what am I doing here? Who am I, who am I introducing you to? But maybe there's one. Maybe there's one. Of course, that is the Locked On Fantasy Podcast. Josh, thank you so much, my man. We'll talk soon. All right, Daniel. I'm not kidding. I really do like Daniel. I don't know what the story behind why my my Nana called me that. I think she was just being silly. But the fact that we've now sort of stumbled back upon it, thanks to Daniel House. I don't know. It's nice. Reminds me of someone that was uh, very close to me. Um, big thank you once again to Josh Lloyd. You know, I, you guys know me. I like to do the deep dive stuff, and so I sort of dragged him into it. It was not the plan going into this segment. We had a bunch of questions that came in. But really, the only one... The only one that I didn't get to that I really wanted to was talking New York Knicks for a minute or two. Um, There's a bit of a dumpster fire situation going on there, similar to the one in Portland. Teams just sort of trying to figure out who they are. And I wanted to get Josh's opinion on what's going on out that way. But next time, we'll have him back probably right after the turn of the year. That's my goal. Want to get some guests looped back in here. We had a whole bunch of training things going on at HoopBall that uh, sports ethos, apologies, that slowed down my ability to pull some guests in, but I'm thinking that we can get that going a little bit. And still excited to tell you about the show coming up tomorrow, Friday's show. It's going to be a really exciting one. After I let you guys all know that this episode is brought to you by our good friends at thrivefantasy.com. Prop up! at thrivefantasy.com or using the Thrive Fantasy app available on Apple and Android devices. And you guys have heard me tell you about it for the last two weeks, so please do check it out. Do it 
as a favor to me, just go to thrivefantasy.com and start poking around because I'm fairly certain that you're going to like what you see. It's prop bets. These are things that we full season fantasy enthusiasts and just basketball uh, knowledgeables can participate in. I don't understand DFS. You guys know that about me. Those of you that have listened to this show for a couple of years know we used to have my good buddy, Mike Apatria, one of our main hosts of NBA DFS today and one of the leaders of the DFS division at Sports Ethos, come on this show once a week to try to talk me through a DFS lineup. And every time I left the show going, I don't, like, I should be picking this up, but I'm failing. I'm failing. Thrive Fantasy, I understand. I understand how to figure out a prop bet on whether or not Donovan Mitchell is going to score 28 points in a particular ballgame. You weigh certain factors. Yes, there's some matchup stuff, but it's not like going in and in that same game trying to figure out, hey, is this the game that Joe Ingles goes for 11-6-4? Or is this the game that Joe Ingles goes for 7-3-2? and two? And that's going to decide my DFS lineup because I want to spend up on someone else. That stuff drives me nuts. I'm sorry, DFSers. I hate DFS. I just don't understand it. But I like Thrive Fantasy. I understand it. Use promo code ETHOS when you open up your account. You'll get a 100% deposit match bonus on your initial deposit up to $100. And if you deposit $10, you get two free entries into the $20 NBA contest. If you deposit $100, you get four free entries into the $20 NBA contest. So deposit 10, get the $10 deposit match, get two extra $20 entry tickets, deposit 10, get 60 worth of coinage at thrivefantasy.com. Again, the promo code is ethos, E-T-H-O-S. I am going to tell you about ExpressVPN at some point in today's show, although I might be mushing around a little bit. We got news and we got a recap to do here before this Thursday edition is done. It's going to be one of the quicker recaps, kind of like we did on our Tuesday show with Adam, which was basically, look, I'm going to pick out the big things from the card. We're not going to go through every single ball game. There are games where I don't think anything really changed, and we're going to jump through those. But I got to give you the news first, and there's a bunch so far today. First, we got an update on Zion Williamson. He's expected to be out another four to six weeks. So now you're looking at maybe a late January, early February return, which makes him, as we just talked about with Josh, a very difficult player to continue to stash. Uh, OG Ananobi has been upgraded to questionable. So he's gone from uh, basically no time. And I don't know that there's a a massive... like, the timeline thing was always kind of weird with OG, the fact that he sort of just, like, slipped back into no timeline. But the fact that he's now questionable feels like he's inching towards getting a little bit closer. Zach Levine, a couple other Bulls expected to miss at least another 10 days, which leads me to believe those guys are actually symptomatic in their COVID stuff. But Kobe White cleared protocol, so Chicago's starting to get guys back. Cole Anthony, questionable for the... Uh, Magic's next ball game, Mobamba questionable for the Magic's next ball game, Gary Harris questionable for the Magic's next ball game, but the big news pairing. Sorry, we'll do one more small piece. Isaac Okoro has entered protocols for the Cavaliers. You hope that that's only uh, only the beginning or not the the end, I should say, but rarely has this stuff been the end. The big news 
unfortunately, that just broke while we were recording this podcast, is that the Lakers are both signing Isaiah Thomas to a 10-day contract out of the G League, but that's occurring because Russell Westbrook has entered health and safety protocols, most likely. His exposure to teammates, Taylor Horton Tucker, Malik Monk, or Dwight Howard, that's now moved along to Russ. Of course, he played for the Lakers in yesterday's ballgame in Dallas. Uh, I mean, here's the thing. He was tested. These guys are getting tested every day now, I believe. And apparently was not, didn't test positive yesterday. So hopefully that means that he was not contagious during the ballgame and then became contagious, if indeed he is, you know, if, if this indeed turned back a positive result, sometime between the ball game and this morning, presumably when they had another test taken, it's just hard to know. You know, these guys all played. Russ was with the Lakers in the locker room last night. They played against the Mavericks. A lot of close contact there. If he was contagious during that ball game, that's another one. Uh, we know Malik Monk was actually on the plane with the Lakers on their travel day. Yeah, it's getting rough. Here's the thing. Um... We're seeing a lot of analysts, fantasy writers, just saying, shut it down. But I would offer what I'm guessing is going to be somewhat of an unpopular take. And you guys don't have to agree with me on it, but I'm going to explain myself. And and hopefully that'll be enough to at least get you to think about it. You guys know I'm an extraordinarily safe human being. Everything I've said on this podcast, and you guys know enough about me from Twitter and so forth to know, I take this thing extraordinarily seriously. We've, we've, you know, we didn't do anything for months at the front end of this pandemic, and we still don't do many things, but enough to keep the family happy, see family, uh, you know, keep life a little more normal. But, like, we finally just got my, my older son, who just turned five, he got vaccinated recently. You know, that's a big deal. We're going to let him do some more things now than we did before. So I, I, I use that as a preface not to try to talk to you guys about something that I'm sure is going to irritate people, but actually just to sort of set the table for you guys know about me. So it should be interesting to you when I take the opposite side of most people that I think probably think like me on this particular topic. And I will say to you, we should not shut the NBA down right now. Because there are other measures that can be put in place first. First of all, here's the biggest reason. Forget, like, all the things you can do in between where we're at now and shutdown. Biggest reason is, if you shut it down for two weeks, get everybody healthy, bring everybody back, it's going to start again. That doesn't fix it. Unless at the end of two weeks, you've moved the NBA into a bubble. It's not a viable solution. Shut it down until January 1st. What do you do then? How do you know that these players aren't going to be getting together with families during a two-week shutdown? You might come back from an NBA shutdown with more COVID cases than when you left. So no, that's not a good solution to this thing. Shutting individual teams down might make more sense if it didn't mean that the scheduling process would become such a massive, massive cluster mess that it sort of screws those teams into playing eight games when everybody else is playing four, and then you risk injury 
to key players. Like, if you were going to shut the Lakers down right now, the NBA doesn't want LeBron playing eight games in 14 days or whatever they end up having to do there. Uh, first of all, he wouldn't play in them. He'd rest in half, provided they were in the playoffs. And if he did play in them, you risk losing marquee guys to injuries of overuse. And then everybody loops back around to, well, then you got to shut everybody down so that, you know, you can get LeBron. It's not happening, guys. The shutdown, the league-wide shutdown is not a viable option. Unless this thing spreads to basically every single team. It just feels like that right now. It feels like it's spread to every single team. But I would offer this small piece of solace, which is you can go to the board and you can find most teams are not in the throes of an outbreak. It just feels like it because we keep hearing about, well, outbreaks. Like the Nets, half that team gone. Bulls, half that team gone. Now the Lakers, half that team basically gone. It sucks, man. But like the Blazers, they're just playing bad. It's not COVID. Spurs, they had a little bit earlier, but nothing going on right now, really. Kings might have a little outbreak going. They're in the they're in the wrong side of this discussion. Timberwolves are fine. Nuggets are generally fine. Mavs, Grizz, Jazz, Suns, Warriors, Pels, Thunder. Like, most of the teams are not dealing with a team-wide outbreak. Some, one of those teams might have had, like, one player in it. But I don't. I, it seems like it was long enough ago that it didn't land on anyone. Now, you're seeing more testing. This I thought was interesting. I was listening to uh, 710 ESPN LA on my way to the supermarket yesterday, and uh, Ramona Shelburne was on as a guest host, and she was talking about how the NBA actually ramped up testing quite a bit right after Thanksgiving. And then, after they started catching things, they've continued to ramp up testing because now they're tracking exposures Whereas previously, prior to Thanksgiving, they weren't testing teams or players unless there was a symptomatic illness. If someone had symptoms, they caught it, then they test the whole team for whatever number of days after that. After Thanksgiving, they've changed it back to just testing everybody all the time. So you're catching a bunch of very mild and asymptomatic cases that are starting these outbreaks that we might not have even known about. I don't know that anyone on the Lakers is symptomatic. They haven't really told us that Bill McDonald, their TV play-by-play guy, he's isolating, apparently has it, but is asymptomatic. I think we've heard that uh, Monk and, and Dwight Howard, I think they're asymptomatic as well. I don't know if we know about THT. He was the first one. Uh, but again, like, this is, by the way, this is not me advocating not testing. It's just that we're now catching things we wouldn't have caught before. Okay, so where do we go from here? Unfortunately, there aren't really any great solutions. I'm not here to provide them. All I'm really here to do is actually try to put a tiny bit of an optimistic spin on this, which is not easy because there's a bit of a Groundhog Day element that punched me in the in the gut on Monday, I think it was. I just sort of felt crummy as I watched all these cases pop up. But now by the end of the week, more cases keep happening. We're just in a little bit of a wave right now. And teams are going to start ratcheting up their own restrictions because like there's a lot of money on the line they want to win ball games they don't want to keep losing players you're going to see that happen there's going to be this sort of individual responsibility thing that kicks in here where everybody was sort of going back to normal but we're not there yet and the other thing is 
We have enough data to know that booster shots actually do quite a bit in fighting off these infections, and some of it is just waning immunity. A lot of these guys got their vaccines nine months ago, and we know that infection or vaccines, however you have your immunity, wears off after about half a year, at least against Delta and then, you know, Omicron coming on. We're not going to get that far into the weeds. So teams are going to start getting boosters. We've heard the Lakers, actually, they talked about how they're encouraging their guys to go get it. I'm sure they're not the only team doing it. I just happened to have Lakers stuff on in the background here, so I was hearing the discussion on their TV network. There's going to be a waning that happens after the current waxing. And that's what the NBA is banking on, is just deal with this wave that's happening. And it's happening in every sport simultaneously because everyone went back to normal, immunity's wearing off, and pow, we're getting bludgeoned. But no, they can't just shut the whole thing down because if they did, they'd pretty much have to guarantee everybody took those two weeks to go get a booster shot and isolate, which not going to happen. What does this mean for the Lakers? Well, everybody just keeps moving up the board. Westbrook out, THT out, Monk out. Obviously, it's going to be a ton of LeBron and a ton of Anthony Davis for a Lakers team that really at this point can ill afford to lose any more bodies. I really like Wayne Ellington right now. You're going to see more Avery Bradley and Austin Reeves, who both played, uh, well, Bradley didn't play as much as I thought he would yesterday. Reeves hit the game winner in overtime. Wayne Ellington played 38 minutes. They need his floor spacing. I watched that game, actually, start to finish. Somehow, when when Laker games start early enough, I can watch most of them before family dinner time and stuff like that. Uh, LeBron and Wayne Ellington were running pick-and-roll plays where it really was pick-and-pop, which is a a defendable move, except teams do not want to leave whoever the defender is on Ellington, generally someone who's fast but doesn't have a whole lot of strength or uh interior defensive ability for lack of a better term they're going to put someone on ellington who can chase him around the three-point line teams don't want to switch that guy onto lebron so there was a lot of blitzing lebron on the pick and roll and he was flipping it up and over the double team to ellington who was often open at three someone had to come racing at him and that created some openings for the Lakers on offense. I think you're going to see more of that. Ellington's going to get himself some steals. He's going to hit a bunch of threes in the short term because it can't just be LeBron and AD. I mean, losing any one of those three guys opens up so much usage where Ellington actually took the third most shots of anybody on the Lakers yesterday. <laughs> 